all around us, things are changing. As the infinite interplanetary ballet continues, we bear witness to a monumental change in the world around us. Slowly, the world cools, and we are slowly passed from the warmth of summer to the frigid grasp of winter. It's in this strange state of in-between that we most often find ourselves looking into the abyss, only to see it looking right back. Broadcasting on WCRX 88.1 FM, directly from Chicago's underground, I'm Peyton Zignego with Channel Vale, lifting up that which divides the known from the unknown. Slowly, we are spending more time enveloped in darkness. The sun is pulling away, taking with it its warmth and its comfort that we are safe from the harm of shadows. However, even as we associate the absence of light with all things unearthly, we aren't as safe in the sunlight as we would like to believe. Ah, (laughs) something exciting is happening all around us today. Have you noticed? Surely you have. It's very clear if you pay attention. I'll give you a second. It's cooling off. How exciting is it to get to feel the chill of the air around you once again? Complain all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that radio is a one-way interface and I'll never hear you. As far as I'm aware, you're happy and content with the weather as it is now, cooling off and slowly letting us into winter. Perhaps you want me to make a comment about fall? I'm sure you think that that's right up my alley. When fall comes, so too does the dark and mysterious, no? Well, that's simply a reductionist belief. There are much more prominent things about the fall season than a disproportionately large scale-up in hauntings and visions. Though, I'll be honest, most of them probably have to do with a certain holiday collection. Listen, I'll say this to you since clearly you're being such a good listener and obviously not talking back to your radio, right? I can assume that. Ha! Gotcha! Now who's talking to their radio? (laughs) Okay, okay. There's my first critique from field reporter Nadia in the other room. She's holding up a whiteboard sign with a rather crudely handwritten note to stop antagonizing our listener base. Fine, fine. Have it your way. I won't apologize, though. Uh, Where was I? Ah, yes. I was going to let you in on a little secret. The weather doesn't manifest things. It only puts us in the mood to receive the information. Surely you're not in the mood to be mercilessly tormented by shadows and whispers when you're hot and sweaty, or are you in the mood when you're knee-deep in snow? Perhaps not. Hence why autumn becomes the prime candidate for listening to eerie tales from beyond. Though spring may just as easily take the mantle, or Maybe it's often raining too much for spring to be the proper season. Whatever, whatever. All that I'm saying is that it's quite an interesting phenomenon that fall has become the hot spot for staging the sharing of your fears. Perfect for us here at Channel Vale, but not so much for my defense that dark things happen every day. Specters don't wait for the weather to be a perfectly even 50 degrees before they begin tormenting standard living humans. I mean, if they do, that's their choice and has nothing to do with me. Sorry if I offended any apparitions who can only appear when it's 50 degrees outside. Please don't sue us. We can't afford another ghost lawyer. 
All this comes to light because of a rather interesting report that we received this week that seems to have been sent out in the middle of August. Considering the almost snow I saw this week while watching my security camera enrichment setup, I feel as though that was a lifetime ago. Again, though, I rehash. Who is in the mood to be tormented when they're sweaty? Certainly not me. Nadia either, I would imagine. Nadia, do you feel like being haunted when you're sweaty? This is for science. Okay, she's not very happy with that question. Uh, (laughs) I thought you told me that journalism was all about asking the hard-hitting questions that no one wants to answer. Okay, sorry, sorry, please put the threatening whiteboard remarks down. I'll get back to my reports. Whew. Right. Well, uh, before I get into my reports, I have lots of exciting updates. We've been collecting statements for quite some time now, but we finally have settled down in a handy working relationship with some actual trained scientific researchers we can utilize for analysis of some of the parts of reports we get. Last week, Nadia brought us the so-called Joyce Armstrong Fragments, a journal that included the final thoughts of a lost-to-time pilot, Joyce Armstrong. We sent it over to our trio of scientists who confirmed the identity of the journal's owner by finding out that it was, in fact, his blood splattered all over it. Way to mark your work, sir. I didn't want to stop there, so I sent another set of correspondences asking if they'd look into the actual contents of the reports and see if they couldn't do some of replication or, I don't know, send someone up to the stratosphere to see if they couldn't corroborate the reports of Joyce Armstrong. To be honest, I just wanted to see if they would invite me out to go on a fun little plane with them on a trip since Nadia didn't want to on account of the very valid fear of heights that she has. Well, I'm not sure what they got up to in that remote lab of theirs, but they sent me back a letter with an included jar of a jam-like substance. Let me tell you, that jam was delicious. I don't know what berries they were making things out of, but it was great. I had it on my morning toast and enjoyed it thoroughly. I think it must have come from some local farmer's market because it didn't have a label on it. I'll have to ask where they got it from as I'd sure like to get some more. It was very kind of them to send this gesture of goodwill between journalists and researchers. I think we've been at odds a little with my requests, but I think we're getting closer to the partnership of my dreams. Who knows? Maybe I'll wrangle one to come on the show. But enough about my jelly and future broadcasts. That letter I thought would be very fun to read now with you live on air. What better way to have you dive right in with me into the heart of what we do here at Channel Vale? As an aside, I love the crisp paper that they use for these letters. Just delightful. Okay, let's see here. My Channel Vale news team, that's us. Uh huh, uh huh. Sent a mission up to 43,000 feet. Uh, Found evidence of Joyce Armstrong's report. Ooh, finally! We're getting to a place where we report on things that are scientifically provable. This is a big step forwards for Channel Vale. Okay, very exciting. So, okay, on this expedition, they were able to collect a sample of one of those great soap bubble creatures. Exactly the thing our lost pilot had wanted to do. Oh, honoring his memory by gathering only one jar of their jelly flesh that they included in the package. I see. <clears throat> they, they don't say. Uh, huh. 
yep, all right, well, science isn't really for me anyway. <laughs> nope, not something for me. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, appreciate the dedication to my cause. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, <clears throat> Nadia is clearly laughing from the other side of the glass. Uh, hope the mic isn't picking that up. I don't want to give her that power over me. I don't want to let her have this. <clears throat> Great. Well, uh, thankfully, we have a statement to report on that has nothing to do with the discovery or consumption of otherworldly creatures, because I think I'm a little over that for today's broadcast. I'll hope you forgive me for that. I'll be your brave little broadcaster again next week, I, I swear. Come on, Nadia, stop laughing. It It's not funny. I, I don't think I want to cover a story with corporeal creatures for a little while. <clears throat> Thankfully, this week we were given another written report sent in from someone whose whereabouts are currently unknown. I'll say it, though. I'm glad we're frequently the last thought on the minds of those who are about to disappear from the face of this known Earth. That, or they continue to be forwarded to us. But since we don't know the actual physical sender of this letter, we may never know. Anywho, this letter was written with seeming haste, uh, but it is prefaced with the fact that the author was writing down everything to the best of his ability, which I'll say I appreciate as a journalist. The letter is dated August 20th, and our author begins by giving us a rundown of himself. He reveals his name as James Clarence Wittencroft, an artist of 40 years old who lives alone and knows himself to be in good health. We hardly ever get a front identification of our report subjects, so this was a fantastic starting lead. Unfortunately, however, when we began digging to see if we couldn't track down Mr. Withencroft, we were unable to find much information save a few loose artistic pieces with his name attached. His whereabouts are currently unknown, and the only family we were able to identify was a deceased sister. This was a very fortunate lead with a very unfortunate mound of dead ends. According to the letter, Mr. Withencroft's day began at 9am amid a wave of that considerably dense late August heat. At some point, he found a strike of inspiration and began to sketch, working without pause until 4pm. According to him, the result of this session of sketching was one of his best, though we were unable to find the exact piece he details. When all is said and done, and the graphite dust settles on the page, he has conjured an image of a large man on trial in the moments right after the judge has given their sentence. According to Mr. Withencroft, the man was bald and clean-shaven, and staring straight ahead with a sort of broken expression. Satisfied in his creation, Mr. Withencroft rose to head out, taking the drawing with him in his pocket. Mr. Withencroft then shares that he knew when he left his home that he had wanted to go see a friend, Trenton, but that the glaring, overtaking waves of heat must have taken hold, for that's all he was aware of in the five or six miles worth of wandering he ended up doing against his own conscious will. The time was now 6.40pm. The time is also now right for me to go check up on Nadia. I haven't seen her move since she had that laughing fit over me, and frankly, I'm getting a little worried about that. I've been trying to watch her through the glass while I read, and it's not exactly conducive to a well-delivered report. I'll be right back. Uh, this is Peyton Zignego with Channel Vale, broadcasting on WCRX 88.1 FM directly from our station in Chicago's underground.
Broadcasting from Chicago's underground, this is Channel Vale, once again on WCRX 88.1 FM. We would like to officially state that we here at Channel Vale do not condone consuming unmarked and unknown jelly-like substances on your morning toast, no matter how enticing they appear. Just to cover ourselves legally, you know. Also, because Nadia is making me promise I won't repeat the mistakes of my past, not hard, considering the deeply sweaty stare-down I just had with myself in the station bathroom mirror after realizing what I'd done to myself and to science. We also send our sincere apologies to the scientific communities that we may have affected with this blunder. Uh, it's okay, I'm over it, really, and Nadia is fine as well. Turns out she was so overcome with her fits of laughter that a headache came on and she needed a bit of rest, which I'll let her have for now. But she is now raising her head from her desk for just enough time to gesture towards the report on my desk that I'm supposed to be reading through. Nadia, do you know how hard it is to run a radio broadcast while going through something like this? Oh, don't make that face at me. I I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do my job. A report from Mr. James Withencroft continues as he finds himself standing now at a gated yard blooming with late season flowers. The entrance sign reveals that this is the workplace of a marble monument mason named Atkinson. Mr. Withencroft entered on a reported impulse. When he followed the sounds of a stone mason at work, he found himself face to face with the man in his drawings yet again. Only this time, the living counterpart was looking back. Strange, yes, but stranger still that Mr. Withencroft claims he had never seen this man before until this very day, and never in person until this very second. The two had never crossed paths in life until now. So how, he wonders, did he manage to capture his perfect essence in charcoal and graphite this morning? He distracted himself, making conversation with Mr. Atkinson. The man was working on a piece of marble, carving into it despite the heat around them. Mr. Withencroft details their conversation, which was mostly centered around stone and what marble works best in what pieces of work. Apparently, what he was currently working with had a large imperfection on the back of it. Despite that, the headstone the smith was working on was meant for a showcase. When the artist stood from his work, he invited the author to look over the headstone and its engraving. Etched in stone on the marble piece was the name James Clarence Withencroft. The date of passing was listed as August 20th, the date of this letter, and the date that the two men were standing in amid the heat of late summer. Despite the heat, a chill took hold of Mr. Withencroft. As he stared at the headstone, surely meant for him, for the name matched, and the listed birth date was his own. According to Mr. Withencroft, when he asked Mr. Atkinson how he came up with the name, or for whom it was really for, the man replied that the name simply came to him. This piece wasn't an order, just something he'd come up with. It doesn't seem, from this account, that Mr. Atkinson knew why he had happened to write the name of the man who stood before him now. There was no clear reason for it, but here they were, name engraved and face etched. When the sketch of his own face was shown to him, Mr. Atkinson reacted with similar shock. They agreed that they must have crossed paths and shared name and face for the other to have marked down deep into his subconscious without paying a clear thought to it. However, neither of them could come up with a place that they'd both been to, aside from the one they were currently in. Nothing seemed to link them. All Mr. Withencroft knew was that he was looking at a headstone with his own name and two dates, his correct birthday and a date for his death. Mr. Atkinson invited the other man in for dinner, an offer that was accepted. He shared a meal with Mr. Atkinson and his wife. 
one he had hoped wouldn't be his last meal on death row, a looming date that hung heavier than the thick weight of summer heat. At some point, Mr. Withencroft and Mr. Atkinson went back outside and continued their conversation. Because of the nature of the illustration that Mr. Withencroft had conjured, which, all restate, was one that displayed a man on trial, he was driven to ask if the mason had been on trial, a question that was answered no. According to the reply from Mr. Atkinson, there was nothing he could think of that he'd done that would even get him remotely close to being put on trial. As nonchalantly as a man not being questioned about his criminal history, Mr. Atkinson watered his plants and continued about his evening. After being asked, Mr. Withencroft shared his address with the other man. Not the most safe move of a man trying not to end up dead. Either way, Mr. Withencroft knew that his home was a little over an hour walk away, should he be purposefully walking and not aimlessly wandering as he had been when he arrived. Mr. Atkinson invites Mr. Withencroft to spend the rest of the evening with him. He warns of all the things that could go wrong should Mr. Withencroft attempt to make the late-night walk back to his own home. Despite everything telling him not to, Mr. Withencroft agrees and re-enters the home of Mr. Atkinson, the man who had chiseled out his death date as the very date on the calendar. The final paragraph of the letter marks the time as 11 p.m., an hour until midnight, and an hour left until the bottom date of the tombstone would be wrong. Mr. Withencroft reports that as he writes this letter, Mr. Atkinson sits in the other room, sharpening his tools. The air is thick and heavy and oppressively hot. With an hour to go on the date of his alleged death, Mr. Withencroft writes that he feels as though all of this could drive him mad. And then nothing. His words end right there, against a backdrop of sharpening tools, a looming engraved date, and a heat that threatens to suffocate. He wrote nothing else. We received the letter, but no other pieces. I thought perhaps the illustration would make for a great addition, but alas. Though I suppose it would be rather lost, giving a piece of art to a radio station. Might not be the best help to illustrate a case. Not that I wouldn't spend an entire broadcast going over and describing every stroke of pencil that had been worked into the piece. That is a very in-character assumption. Nadia is even nodding her head at me with a sort of glare in her eyes. Well, uh, our investigation hit a halt. We found nothing of Mr. Atkinson or Mr. Withencroft that we could go after. It is to no surprise that Mr. Withencroft should disappear on the date of his headstone, unfortunately. We are, I suppose, a little late to seeing about tracking him down anyhow, seeing as though this meeting took place in August. Apparently the mail system is snail slow, or this was a passed-on account. I can always send it back over to our friends in the lab to try out some of that fun fingerprint science. There's no possible way for that to come back and bite my throat, right? Right? I hope not. <laughs> well, however, the gift of clairvoyance was given, and whatever tied the fate lines of these two men, uh, we may never know. Another final stroke of pencil in an unfinished sketch of intertwined lives. The seasons shift and change, and so too do our lives. Little by little, everything moves about. We are composed of little unseen things doing their own dance as we stand on a rock doing a reflecting one of its own. Paths cross and uncross in ways that we don't always anticipate. Some of these crossings may lead us to places where we find ourselves laid out and etched into marble, though most probably will not. For Mr. Withencroft, his crossing on this infinite ballet led to an unknown end. I will have Nadia continue to investigate as we add to our pile of names we hope will reappear in searches or papers. 
As the ebb and flow of work and journalism continues, we will stride forwards, never taking an eye off the past, as we never take an eye off the present. The eye working on the future is one that we haven't really nailed down yet, but hopefully we'll get there. For now, though, embrace the cooling breeze as we welcome in the time of longer nights and spinal chills. I can see from my little place in the world that the night is calm. At least for now, and at least from where my cameras are pointed, though I have gotten really good at reading the body language of plants to tell exactly what the weather is going to be. And the weather looks like it's going to be detrimental to my plant friends because they are looking very off-colored. Sorry, guys. As my plants wither and the nights are making their stays ever longer, and as I mentioned, we are entering the time when most people believe they will be haunted, I implore you to find someone to spend your time with to make this cold season feel not so distant and dark. For everything she puts me through, it is a great comfort to have Nadia here with me. I hope you have someone similar. We are perhaps better off together in the end. And of course, remember, just because the seasons grow darker and dimmer doesn't mean your chances of being hunted and haunted are going up. They are not correlated. There is no causation. Those are science terms that I learned recently, so enjoy. But it doesn't change the fact that they aren't related. You're just as safe now as you were before. And isn't that to comfort that your chances of being haunted or seeing an otherworldly phenomenon aren't going up? They're always as high as they ever were. Enjoy your evening. And remember, if you do happen to have a clearly faded meeting with someone, please make sure to send us your statement and let us know all of the exact details of your predicament. And if you send any samples, please clearly label them because someone, and I won't point fingers, is really good at accidentally consuming evidence. <laughs> As I like to remind you each week that we cross paths, Nadia has been hard at work converting broadcast to podcast for your listening pleasure. We hope that you like to listen to what we have to report on, and if that's the case, we invite you to re-listen or find broadcasts that you may have missed on any of your choice of podcast listening platforms. All you have to do is go to any place where you get podcasts and look for Channel Veil. That's Veil spelled V-E-I-L. Nadia uploads broadcasts retroactively, so if you came in late and fell victim to the radio not being a medium you can rewind, fear not, as you'll be able to catch this episode next week. There's also all of our other broadcasts to listen to in the meantime. I do hope you'll return to hear my voice live again next week, though. Broadcasting, as always, from Chicago's underground, this has been Channel Vale. Today's newscast was brought to you by WCRX 88.1 FM and August Heat by William Fryer Harvey. I've been Peyton Zignego, letting the veil between you and the world of the unknown once again slide back into place. For now, thank you so very much for listening. <laughs>